uh, where he left off in John. This week we're going to take a short break from John, and we're going to jump back to the Old Testament. And we're going to look into 2 Kings chapter 22. So if you have a Bible, please turn there to 2 Kings chapter 22. If not, there are Bibles placed throughout uh, underneath the chairs, uh, so feel free to find one of those. Or there are a couple on the back table, I do believe, still. Please join with me as we read the word of God, starting in chapter 22 of 2 Kings, verse number 1. Verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adaiah of Bozkath, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he walked in all the way of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, to the secretary to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people, and let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house, that is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons, and let them use it for buying timber and quarry stone to repair the house, but no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam son of Shaphan, and Akbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people. And for all of Judah concerning these words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that, has, that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. Let us pray. Lord, you are a mighty and wonderful God. And as we look to your word, and what you have prepared for us today. Help us to set aside our distractions during this time. Help us to focus on you. Draw us near to you, O Lord, for our need for you is great. Amen. So, just a little background as to this passage. Josiah was king of Judah from 640 to 609 B.C., so this is time... Uh, pre-80, so it's backwards. We're counting towards zero, not from zero. 
his reign occurred after Israel was split into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom, Israel, and then you had the southern kingdom known as Judah, which is where Jerusalem was. By the time Josiah became king of Judah, Israel, the northern kingdom, had fallen into the hands of the Assyrian because of their wickedness. So they had split, and the Israel to the north has fallen into the hands of the Assyrian because they had been wicked and had wicked kings. Josiah was the grandson of King Manasseh, who was arguably one of the most wicked kings of Judah. Manasseh not only rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had destroyed, but he went much further than that. He built altars in the temple courts of the house of the Lord. So he built altars to other gods in God's temple. That's not the worst thing he did. He burned his son as an offering to his idols. He used fortune-telling and consulted mediums and necromancers. Verse 9 of 2 Kings, chapter 21, reads, But they did not listen, and Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the people of Israel. In total, Manasseh reigned for 55 years. Josiah's father, Amon, only reigned as king for just two years, but like Manasseh, he was also a wicked king. 2 Kings chapter 21, verses 20 through 22 read, that, And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh his father had done. He walked in all the way in which his father walked, and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them. He abandoned the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. So by the time Josiah comes to kingship and he's been crowned king, it's been 57 years since the kingdom of Judah has had a godly king, which was Hezekiah, his great-grandfather. Spending this much time under wicked leadership, we see that the moral state of Judah is not good at all. Despite from all of this that's stacked against Josiah, we see from Scripture that he led well, even from a young age. It says that King Josiah was crowned king at eight years old, which just kind of baffles me when you think about it. An eight-year-old is leading the entire kingdom. Uh, for perspective, Hezekiah, my oldest, the one with glasses, he is eight years old. Imagine listening to an eight-year-old this week, I tried to imagine it myself that I was eight years old. I'm the most powerful figure in the kingdom. I have every temptation around me. The culture as a whole is wicked. What is right is not being taught to me, I'm sure. Would I, as an eight-year-old, make wise, mature, God-honoring decisions like Josiah did? Decisions that would go against the culture of the time? Would I be capable of that? Verse 2 says that Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. The implication here is that Josiah stayed on a straight and narrow his entire life. However, the following verse, verse 3, jumps to the 18th year of King Josiah's reign. So from this passage, we don't really know what did Josiah do from the time he was 8 until the time he was 26? We don't know exactly from this passage in 2 Kings. So what he did while he was growing up. 
For this, we can turn to the Second Chronicles chapter 34. So if you would turn there with me, keep a finger on Second Kings because we'll be coming back to it. But we're going to go to Second Chronicles chapter 34, starting in verse 3. Second Chronicles chapter 34, starting in verse 3. For, the eighth year of, for in the eighth year of his reign, this is referring to Josiah here, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem in the high places, the Asherim and the carved and the metal images. And they chopped down the altars of the Baals in his presence. And he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. And he broke in pieces the Asherim and the carved and the metal images. And he made dust of them, and he scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, and as far as Naphtali, and all their ruins, all around, he broke down the altars and beat the Asherim and the images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. So, a little math here. Josiah began reigning at eight years old, and in the eighth year of his reign, he began to seek the Lord. So, at this point in time, and when he began seeking the Lord, he is 16 years old. And as he grows in his, in his relationship with the Lord, you see his zeal begins to also grow. Because then four years later, at 20, he begins to remove the idol worship that was put in place by his father and his grandfather. Then at 26, going back to our Second Kings passage, at 26, we see that he begins to rebuild the temple, which was in a state of disrepair. So Josiah's approach to removing idol worship, I find this very interesting. He, it was very personal. Notice all the actions here in Second Chronicles with a he in it. He cut down the incense altars. He broke the, uh, in pieces the Asherim. He burned the bones of the priests. He broke down the altars. It doesn't say that while sitting upon thou throne, King Josiah commanded that the country be cleansed of idols. No, it says that he did it. It was personal that he was taking part in the action, that he was probably taking the axe to the poles. He was engaging in that action. And then, and only then, when it was complete, did he return to Jerusalem. So he was traveling from place to place, taking care of making sure that the idols were being taken out. He wasn't just putting other people and delegations in charge of going and removing it. He was making sure personally that it got done. And then when he had completed his task, then he came back to Jerusalem. Josiah was uh, thorough in both his approach and his method and the expanse of his cleansing. Regarding his method, he didn't simply break down the idols. He broke it into pieces. He made dust of the idols. He didn't simply break down the altars. He put the priests to death, and then he burned the bones on the altar to completely desecrate it, to the point that you would never want to use that altar again. It's the ultimate act of desecration. Regarding the location, it says he cleansed Judah and Jerusalem, but then it also says that 
He went to the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, and as far as Naphtali. So if you were to see a map, he went all over the kingdom of Judah. He went to the far reaches. He didn't ignore the little outskirt towns out in the far corners on the northeast corner of his kingdom. He went everywhere before he returned to Jerusalem. What an example of Christian leadership this is for us. Like Josiah, Christian leadership should be personal. If the elders were to schedule a workday at the church or set up D groups or even just Sunday service, and then not a single one of your elders ever showed up to Sunday service, Sunday church, or D group, or a workday, that would not be a sign of good leadership because they're not involved. Which, by the way, gives me a great opportunity to put a plug again for D group right here, discipleship groups. It's a great way to get to know and be known by other believers in a small group setting uh, during the week in extension of our Sunday worship to study the word together. And there's also food. So if you're not one, I strongly encourage you to consider it. Again, you can see myself, my wife, uh, the youngs or the Vions uh, after the service, and we can gladly share with you more about that. Anyways, enough of that rabbit trail. So Christian leadership should be personal. As a father, I cannot just bring my kids to church on Sunday, drop them off at Sunday school, say, there you go, that's good enough for you, and walk away and assume that that would be enough to lead my children and shepherd them well. No, I need to be engaged every day in their walk, showing them how to live a godly life. I need to be involved in it. Like Josiah was involved in the tearing down of the altars, I need to be involved in my children's life on a daily basis. Christian leadership should be thorough. Josiah traveled all over the kingdom. He left no idol unturned. So too in our lives, we cannot leave idols present in our lives and just hope that God doesn't notice. Because he does. He's sovereign. He knows all things. He knows, he's omnipotent. Good Christian leadership starts in your heart. We see in this passage that there's a period of four years from the time Josiah began seeking the Lord to the time that he began purging the idols. So before he took over and started purging the idols, we see four years where he was spending time with the Lord and growing. My daily prayer on the way to work is along the lines, Lord, Fill me with your spirit, guide and direct me today. Grant me patience with those I encounter, that I may be a light to those around me. And as I am squeezed like a sponge, because I know I will be, may what comes out be God-honoring, not the muck of this world, Lord. We need to take that time, set aside that time in the morning to really focus our hearts and get our hearts in the right place in order that we may be a proper witness to others. So it must start with others or with ourselves before we go out to others. So now jumping back to 2 Kings chapter 22. After he has purged the idols, we see that Josiah is now a young man. He's in the 18th year of his reign. 18 plus 8 is 26, so he's 26 years old. And he's returned to Jerusalem after having cleansing the land of idol worship. And now he's turning his sights back to Jerusalem and the repair of the temple. In verses 3 through 7, we see Josiah begin laying out the plans for the repair and the financing of the repairs. These four verses are very similar to when 
Joash was king in 2 Kings chapter 12 when he reigned as king. However, if you were to read and compare and contrast the two sections of passages, you will see that it's clear that Josiah sought the Lord even more than King Joash did, that he went further with the repairs, that he took it more upon himself to make sure that the temple was properly repaired. So now let's look at verse 8. Reading verse 8 again. And Hilkiah the priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan the secretary, and he read it. It's easy to pass over the significance of this verse. Think about it. They found the book of the law. But in order to find something, it has to be lost first. Remember what I had said about earlier that the moral state of Judah after 57 years of leadership under Manasseh and Ammon, that was not good? It was actually, it was in the gutters. I mean, the priests who are the spiritual leaders of the country had drifted so far from God that they had lost God's given word to them. They instructed them how to live and gave them insight into God's heart. I can hardly fathom this, that your spiritual leaders had lost the book of the law, that they were to be writing and studying and practicing every day. They had lost it. And if this was the spiritual state of the priest, this speaks even higher volumes of how countercultural and how strong Josiah's relationship with the Lord was. So what was the book of the law that they're referring to here? Now, the Bible doesn't explicitly tell you if it was the entire Pentateuch or if it was just a portion of it. Um, most scholars believe that the book of the law was actually what we know to as the book of Deuteronomy, either most if not all of Deuteronomy here. This is because the actions that Josiah takes in this chapter and the following chapters in his life and also comments that are made and phrases that are used that lead them to believe that this was the book of Deuteronomy. So they likely had at least a portion of the book of the law, the portion of the Pentateuch, but they didn't have the whole thing. They were missing the last 20% or so of the book of the law. But the book of Deuteronomy is very important for the day-to-day -day living, the operations of the priests um, so having lost it would have lost a lot of instructions for the priests at that time. So Shaphan has now read the book of the law for himself after it was found. Let's pick up now at verse 9 again. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. I think it's safe to say that uh, Shaphan was not very thrilled at sharing this newfound book of the law with the king. Because first we see that he waits to the end of a financial report that was very good and rosy and has picked the king up because everything has gone well. He waits to the end. Uh, to tell the king of the new discovery. He was likely hoping that the king had been bored or put in a good mood by the good report, that 
he kind of tuned Shaphan out and was like, okay. And I imagine Shaphan standing before the king, speaking loudly and confidently as he's giving this financial report, and then kind of muttering under his breath, oh, and Hilkiah the priest has given me a, a, a book. Uh, second, though, when we find that Hilkiah referred to it right away when they found it as the book of the law. Here we see Shaphan simply refer to it as, well, a book was found. It wasn't anything important. Third, notice how Shaphan immediately transfers the blame to Hilkiah. He carefully inserts Hilkiah's name as the responsible party for finding the book. It wasn't his fault. Hilkiah found it. He probably lost it. I think Shaphan might have been fearful for his life here. He might have been afraid that King Josiah would lash out in anger and punish Shaphan and the priest for the negligence in their duties. He might have been afraid of Josiah's response, especially since he's standing before the king. Should he respond in anger for the finding of this book? Given that scholars believe the book of the law was the book of Deuteronomy, there is a sense of irony here in this passage because Shaphan reads the book of the law to Josiah. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, it read, uh, God gives commands to the Israel, Israel's future kings. When Israel decides that they must have a king before them, God prepares that and says, this is what's going to happen. This is what the king is uh, to do. In verse 18, it reads, And when he sits on the throne of the, his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and its, in these statutes, and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children Israel. So the irony here is, is Clearly, King Josiah hasn't been doing that. Instead, Shaphan is over here doing what the king was supposed to be doing on a daily basis, reading the book of the law to him. So what is Josiah's response to the book of the law? Does he respond in anger and punish Shaphan and the priests, as Shaphan fears? Does he shrug it off with a yawn and just kind of, oh, all right, another boring book. Okay, I'm going to go to bed now. No, he doesn't do either of those things. He... Verse 11 tells us he tore his clothes. The action of tearing your clothes during this time period was an outward expression of extreme grief. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, we see upon hearing the death of his son Absalom, King Josiah or King David tore his garments, hearing about the death of his son. Or in the book of Job, upon seeing Job's dreadful state after all the calamities that had happened to Job, his friends, when they see Job from a distance, they tear their clothes in grief at his um, dreadful state. In the tearing of his clothes, Josiah shows that he's convicted by the words he has just heard. He humbles himself before the Lord and he repents of his actions. Once again, we see that King Josiah is a king of action. He gets involved. He commands Hilkiah the high priest and a delegation of four others then to go inquire of the Lord on his behalf. So let's pick up with our story now, starting in verse 14. 
of chapter 22. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Asaziah went to Hodah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they talked with her. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will be bring a disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they may provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But the king of Judah, who sent you an inquirer of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding these words that you have heard. Because your heart was penitent, and you have humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke out against this place and against its inhabitants, that they shall become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I have also heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. You shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought the word to the king. Chapter 23 now. The king sent, and all the elders in Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul, to perform all the words of the covenant that were written in this book and all the people joined in this covenant. So this passage subtly gives again, gives an indicator to the reader that the priests were not seeking the Lord. It's the duty of the priest to inquire of the Lord for the people, but they weren't doing so here. Instead, they went to inquire of the Lord through a prophetess, a non-Levitical prophetess is the one that did the inquiry here. Hulda says that Josiah not only tore his clothes, but he openly wept at the hearing of the book of the law. So he acted both in humility and an act of repentance. She also acknowledges that his heart was penitent, and you humbled yourself before the Lord is what she says in reference to Josiah. Penitent is another way of saying repentant. Josiah took the words of the book of the law and the adherence to it, very seriously. Josiah repeatedly shows that he knows how to listen. The Hebrew word shama repeatedly occurs in this passage over and over. Shama means to hear or to obey. In chapter 22, verse 11, the king hears the words of the law and points out that these words of the Lord are to be heard or obeyed. In verse 19, God himself says that Josiah has heard or listened to the Lord and that the Lord has also heard or listened to him. It is clear that Josiah listens to God and responds to God in a way that is fitting. Despite being given a divine 
death sentence through the prophecy of Holda, Josiah steps it into high gear. He takes it to his following of God and his commitment to God to a whole nother level than what he had before, even though he could have said, well, at least it's not going to happen in my time, as his great-grandfather Hezekiah did, who kind of went in a tailspin when he realized that death had been prophesied about him. Instead, as a sign of his repentant heart, after hearing the book, he began seeking the Lord with renewed fervor. Before the people of Judah, Josiah makes a covenant to follow the Lord with all that he had. If we had time to read the rest of chapter 23, we would see that Josiah continues to purge the idols and the worship of false gods throughout the land of Judah. And he even then goes into the northern kingdom of Israel, which was not his territory, purging idols in the cities of Bethel and Samaria. So he goes outside of his territory into the whole of Israel and begins purging the idol worship even there. We would see that in keeping with his repentant heart, he institutes the celebration of Passover, which was declared in the book of the law in the book of Deuteronomy. This is one of the reasons why they believe it was Deuteronomy. So he institutes the following of the Passover, which had not been done and celebrated since the time of the judges. And all of this, interestingly enough, happens in the 18th year of his reign. So he does all of this. He takes all of this action from the time he heard the book to the time that he does all of this is just in a year's time. So he doesn't just say, okay, all right, let's take one step and move really slowly with this process. No, he takes action right away. And he jumps on it. And within a year, he's gone into Israel. He's cleared the idol worship. He's instituted the Passover feast again. Um, and we see that Josiah sought the Lord with his whole heart until the day of his death. This is why it's written about him in verse 2 of chapter 22. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In response to Josiah's faithful, humble, repentant heart, God spares Josiah from seeing the worst of his wrath that he was going to um, put out upon the people of Judah. Likewise, God will spare us the wrath we deserve if we, like Josiah, repent and seek him with our whole heart. We have something that Josiah did not have during his lifetime. For God sent his one and only son, Jesus, who died on the cross, acting as a substitutionary atonement for our sins. God's word tells us that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is the Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins, but we must, like Josiah, hear God's word, believe it, humble ourselves, and repent. Should you have more questions about this or would like someone to pray with you, the elders are always available for that. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you sent your one and only son to die for us. May we, like Josiah, humble ourselves before you. 
if there be in our hearts sin that we need to repent of, Lord, please reveal it to us. Help us, Lord, to live lives that are honoring to you, seeking you in all that we do. That it may be said of us at the end of our lives, as it was said of Josiah, that we did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, not turning to the right or to the left all the days of our life, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.